You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey there, I'm Dieter Bone from The Verge, and I'm dropping into the podcast to remind you of something. Apple is going to release a new iPhone in September. They do literally every September, but this year it's going to be a really big deal. And so our podcast, The Verge Cast, is going to record in front of a live audience the day after Apple's announcement. We'll be recording on September 13th in San Francisco, and you can get tickets at bit.ly slash SF. That's bit.ly slash SF. We hope to see you there. Welcome back. Limited Upside Podcast Team Preview. We're on to the Indiana Pacers, and we just came off a pretty sad podcast with the Chicago Bulls. It doesn't really get all that much happier with the Indiana Pacers. They trade Paul George. They make some sort of strange offseason moves and build a team that feels tailor-made to win 30 to 35 games. As you'd expect, Pacers fans not too excited. We brought on the dynamic duo of Whitney Medworth from SBNation.com and Caitlin Cooper from Indy Cornrows. We didn't talk a ton about the Paul George trade. We did record a whole podcast about that back in July. Instead, we talked about what's this weird roster going to look like? What can we expect from Miles Turner? And why are the Pacers not just bottoming out? Why not just kind of go for a top three pick? So we talk a lot about that. Uh, This is a Limited Upside podcast. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We're going through team previews. This is, again, the 16th of 30. We've uh, done all the lottery, and we've done a couple of playoff teams, and we're going to go all the way up until the season begins. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review, whether you like what we're doing or not. We like the feedback either way. Obviously, we'd love five stars, but if there's something you think we can do better, let us know about that, too. We take your feedback. We also take in your questions. Um, You can always send us any questions for any of the teams upcoming or any other podcast topics. You can tweet us at limited underscore upside. We always ask them on the show. As many of you who do it every week know, you can see those questions there. Uh, You can also find us anywhere you find your podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good spots. Uh, And that's pretty much it. Enjoy, you know, this not so optimistic Indiana Pacers preview with Whitney Medworth and Caitlin Cooper. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back, Limited Upside Podcast, number 16 of 30 from our team preview series. And this is the one of the most popular duos that we've ever had on the show. A lot of calls to bring them back together. To talk about the Indiana Pacers this year, we've got Whitney Medworth, SBNation.com, assistant NBA editor, and Kaylin Cooper from Indy Cornrows. We had them on when Paul George was traded. They talked about their peanut butter and chili habits that i don't still don't understand <laughs> have we eaten any peanut butter and chili recently by the way no i haven't but it's uh it's getting cold now in indiana so it's time it's nearing i haven't yeah. really had that since i was in high school eating it for school lunch but i know that it's good so it's a cold i guess it is a cold food it is chilly yeah. um it's a it's definitely a fall thing and it's the time is coming I see. So speaking of things that don't necessarily fit together at first glance, but hopefully will in the future, the Indiana Pacers. (laughs) Uh, That was probably, I was trying my hardest for a segue and that didn't quite work. Anyway, 
Indiana Pacers, we're not going to spend too much time relitigating the Paul George trade. You should all listen to our podcast about it. We'll spend a little bit of time relitigating it, but we kind of went through that whole thing back when it happened in July. Uh, you should listen to that. But as of right now, now it's been a couple months. Uh, Caitlin, what would you say the mood of the fan base is right now? Maybe in a word or two or in a phrase. Well, given what all went on this summer, you might think it was checked out, but I think I'm actually going to go with polarized. Hmm. I don't know if that describes a mood, but I think that's the sense because there's a lot of divide over the return for Paul George. And I think there's also a lot of divide on whether they should tank or rebuild through the middle and what their strategy moving forward should be. So, Well, what's the case for A, the trade being a good trade and B, their strategy being the right one? Well, you might be asking the wrong person. Right. I would, I would argue what? the opposite of those. <laughs> yeah. But I think their strategy behind rebuilding through the middle isn't solely about the bottom line. I think that's a huge contributing factor because I think most people know that their attendance just hasn't been good through 2009 through 2013. I don't think they were ever better than like 25th in the league. Their ceiling's 13th, I think, because of capacity. But beyond that, I think they have a real... I think they really believe in veteran leadership. So I think that's why they wanted to pursue people like Darren Collison and others and kind of toe the line because Kevin Pritchard's brought that up a lot about how you don't want to tear down your culture and you need people to teach young guys how to win. And then beyond that, I think last season there were a lot of games where there just was really inconsistent effort from the start of the game to the end. I remember the one contest down in Charlotte, Paul George called it lifeless afterwards. I mean, they were getting drubbed by almost 20 at the end of the first quarter and you just felt like there was a sense of just real nonchalance so I think they also made an effort to try to bring in people that even if they're not as talented they're still going to give consistent effort because I think Pacer fans react more to that so I, I don't think it was solely about money though I do think that's a big part of it. Whitney, why is this like a never rebuild market? You see, you hear this all the time with Indiana. And I think obviously, like Caitlin said, their basketball reasons for sort of not bottoming out. But this has sort of been a common refrain. Like they, they, I think they take pride in that they've never bottomed out. I mean, when's the last time they won fewer than like 35 games? You know, it's been a long time. You know, what is it about the market that makes this impossible, makes this something they feel is impossible to do? You know, I feel like part of it is just this whole like, Indiana basketball, basketball was, you know, Indiana's a basketball state. IU, um, like the college market's so big here. I just feel like they just have this mindset almost that they can't, which I just, I just don't really agree with. And I know that there's been a lot of cases for why they should. Uh, I just, I just don't totally agree with it. Uh, I think it's really hard to get free agents here on their own and, you're going to have to just like build a really good team, which is what they did in 2013, but you know, it it all fell apart. So, you know, the only way to get like that next star is going to be through the draft, which at this point, the Pacers aren't, aren't trying to get a high draft pick and they might've had a chance this summer, but they passed on it. So, you know, it's, I think it's some of that like blue collar gold swagger mentality, which I think is just sometimes a little crazy, but, um, they stick by it, and I don't know. They're like, I think of the Pacers as the most like mediocre team of all time. Like they're always just going to be. <laughs> they're just like they're always just going to be good. Like you know, they're not going to be really bad, and they're not going to be great. There's there's always going to be good, um, and it just seems like 
here was our chance to like bottom out and let uh, Lance and Miles go crazy and see what, you know, just see what kind of draft pick we could get. And they, like Caitlin said, brought back Darren Collison. Like what, why, why, why did we do that? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I don't, that, that's what I, that's why I think they do it. I think it's just a mentality organizational type thing, but. To defend them, of course, they did build a title contender without bottoming out once before and right and they have in the past yep so it's a matter of if that's catching lightning in a bottle or if they could replicate that because a lot of that a lot of that depended on david west being willing to come here because even with paul george george hill lance and Roy, I'm not sure. I mean, they're not as good of a team if David West doesn't decide to pass on the Celtics and ob- and choose Indiana. So are they going to be able to get that type of franchise-changing free agent again? That remains to be seen. Right, and it was like, it was everything just perfectly happened. Like, you're not going to get Paul George at 10, probably ever again. You're not going to get that kind. You got Lance at 45 or whatever he was. Um, and then you get a guy like David West. Like, it was just a perfect mix of things. And... You're asking a lot for that all to happen again. Plus, you got George Hill with essentially the 15th pick. Let's not mention who that 15th pick was, but uh, yeah, that please, 15th pick. And you never al- heard of him. I have no idea. <laughs> and you also got Roy Hibbert with the 17th pick. So, you know, I, I, it's also a lot of different people do, making the decisions this time. But, you know, it, it's pro- you're right. It's sort of a lightning in a bottle thing. It would be so much easier, I think to take the Sixers process and apply it to Indiana, but it's just not how the market operates. And, you know, if it does feel like if that they did that and that failed, I I do think that there is sort of, they're on the precipice of losing fan support. They're not the deep, most deep pocketed team with the biggest uh, local TV deal. I think there is sort of a danger there, but I also do agree. They take it a little bit too far. Uh, I know we're not going to talk too much about the Paul George trade, but I do think, that trade obviously sort of bleeds into their off-season strategy. Um, one thing I remember real quick I want to talk about that uh, we haven't talked about is I don't remember if at the time we really spent much time on the Denver-Cleveland uh, scenario. I guess we did spend a lot of time on that one. Um, but no, two months later, like knowing that that was really on the table and it was uh, – it was um, who pulled out? It was Cleveland who pulled out. Um, does that frustrate you even more? I mean, I think the Pacers. I think oh, the Kevin Pacers. The Pacers. That's right. The Pacers pulled out. Yeah, my memory is really bad it for whatever reason. Does that frustrate you even more? Yeah, I mean, I I still would say that I would prefer Gary Harris in the draft pick over Oladipo simply because I think that no matter what strategy or system the Pacers want to use, that Gary Harris and his shooting and his three and D potential abilities fit within that better than what Oladipo might long-term. Plus Oladipo is going to take up like 20 to 25% of the cap through 2021. I mean, you're going to have to pay Gary Harris, but, and the draft pick, I don't know, did that end up being Donovan Mitchell or I, I think, I mean, they play yeah. the same position, but I think that, you know, what you have in Gary Harris and still with Victor Oladipo, I'm not sure that he exactly is what people thought he would be during the draft process. I mean, I don't know if he's going to get there or not. So now instead you have Oladipo, you've got you trade for Corey Joseph. You also get Darren Collison sign Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, you still have Lance and Lance is going to do his Lance things. That's a pretty crowded 
set of backcourt players. You know, how is that going to work? I mean, is that who plays and how's that, how's the minutes going to work out? And, you know, what exactly would constitute like kind of a good distribution of minutes there to actually accomplish the goals that like we want to accomplish? Well, I, I mean, they're going to start Darren Collison and they'll start Oladipo, obviously, because I, I'm pretty sure Nate McMillan already confirmed that. I think that in the case with Lance and Corey Joseph, I don't mind the Corey Joseph because he's still only 25 and I think he has a player option next year and I like his defensive tenacity. But I think the problem there is that Lance's best position to me is also backup point guard because you don't want to shove him off the ball. He's not, I mean, beyond the fact that he shot over 50% inexplicably over the last five (laughs) games last year. I'm sure that'll continue. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely sustainable. Definitely sustainable. But I mean, he needs to have the ball. so. Darren Collison, theoretically, you can slide off because he is a pretty decent spot-up three-point shooter. But, I mean, it depends. To me, is Darren Collison really your long-term option? No, because you only signed him to a two-year deal. I mean, I think I think the best-case scenario in that regard is they do start Darren Collison. He plays really well, and then maybe by the trade deadline, a contender wants him, and maybe the Pacers flip him for a pick, and then you can really go in with your younger players because beyond that, that signing doesn't make a lot of sense to me because how many wins is Darren Collison really going to net you and do do you want him to net you a bunch of wins? I mean, I don't I don't know. That never really made a lot of sense. That's a lot of players to play guard that you're not sure exactly how they fit in. Um, so, I mean, to me, it was just a little baffling that they would bring in all those players when you already had Lance playing the way he was, when you already brought in Oladipo. I mean, those are guys that need the ball in their hands a little bit. And then I like Corey Joseph. I think that would have been a good pickup, but I'm not quite sure what Darren Collison's doing on the team. Yeah, I agree. I was, I mean, I'm, I don't like love the Oladipo signing, but I'm like, you know, going to give him, I guess, a chance to prove that he, you know, is better than he's shown. Um, I thought Lance proved enough last year that if, well, I guess, let me just start by saying, I guess the vision that I have for the Pacers and their vision of themselves is much different, which is what we've already talked about. Like, you know, you lost Paul George and um, you've got Lance who the fan base loves already. You brought in a depot. The fan base is going to love him regardless. Um, so you've got two young guys. Corey Joseph, that's a fine pickup. Would have rather had him, you know, two years ago than now. But sure, you know, that's fine. Like, I just don't get where Darren Collison fits in. I don't. Like, in terms of veteran leadership, he's not the guy I want. Um, we've already had Darren Collison before. Like, we know everything about him. Um, and we chose George Hill over him then. I would George choose George Hill and anybody over him now. Like, I just don't, I don't get what the point of that was, especially now since he's going to start too. Um, again, I just, I just have a different vision. If you were going to, if you needed the fans to get behind the team because they're going to not be very good, hence why you brought Oladipo back, um, then, then why like start Darren Collison? I just, I just don't get it. I think partially, I mean, he's not exactly the same player because his three-point shooting and his ability to spot up and move off the ball has gotten immensely better since he was here. I mean, they're certainly not going to sell more jerseys when people can just pull out their old one. But, I mean... <laughs> I'm not sure who would, who should buy a Darren Collison jersey anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it, then that's it too. It's not a goodwill signing since he pleaded guilty to domestic violence last year. Yes, but thank you. Yeah, I mean... It, 
I get it slightly because it was a cost-effective deal. And like I said, because it is partially guaranteed, maybe a contender wants him and you can flip it for a, flip him for a pick. And in the meantime, you can slide him off ball next to those other players if you need to. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have somebody near 30 on a rebuilding team unless, you yeah, know. It just, it just felt really strange because, like. I feel know, like Darren, I'm really working to get like, an answer for that. Yeah, like Darren Carlson was like pre, you know, he was kind of like one of the last guys to go before, you know, the Pacers really challenged the Heat. And so, like, we've moved on from that. Aside from Lance, we're trying to rebuild, and it just it feels so strange. See, the other reason I don't like it is that at this point, the Pacers guy is Miles Turner. And he's, I don't know if he's totally ready for this, but he's the guy. And he's the guy everyone in Indiana loves, and he's the franchise, the best franchise player now. I'm not sure Darren Collison or even any of these guards are going to put him in a position to succeed. Is that something that Pacers fans are worried about? I am a little bit just because of defensively and things that we saw last year with Jeff Teague. Because if Darren Collison isn't much of an improvement over Jeff Teague and he's dying on every screen 30 feet from the basket, I don't really want to see Miles Turner having to go hedge, clear out there, recover and box out when you're going to need him offensively on the other end. I mean, I was hoping they would fight. Like, even with Corey Joseph, if you just started him, his defense is enough better than Darren Collison's that at least defensively then you can go back to your conservative pick-and-roll coverage. Yeah, again, why is Darren Collison on the team? Yeah, without making this too much more about Darren Collison than we have, because it is a very good point, Like, I just think in general I'm a little worried that too much is going to be put on Miles Turner to not only be the best player on the court, but also the franchise ambassador. And and meanwhile, they haven't exactly, I don't think, given him the pieces in general to – to, to allow him to thrive. So that's what I would worry about if I'm a Pacers fan. But, I mean, can Miles Turner handle this? Is, you know, I think this being a huge, big question, a big, vague thing, what is this? But that's, like, my big question to you, and is can he handle this, whatever this is? Yeah, like, going back to the, like, one of the first questions of, like, what is the mood of, like, the Pacers fan base, I think part of the mood is that, like, Oh, you know, we don't need you, Paul George. We have Miles Turner, which sounds nice. You know, he's a nice kid. He's young. He, at this point in his career, loves the Pacers and wants to be here. Um, And so it's easy as a fan to be like, yeah, we have Miles Turner. Everything's fine. But in reality, like, he hasn't really shown as much growth as we'd like to see. And I think in the playoffs last year, you know, he, he definitely disappeared. And it's part of a larger picture, you know, when you look back and think if Paul had seen a little more out of Miles, you know, does he feel a little bit differently? Maybe not a lot, but maybe a little. Um, No, I definitely have reservations that Miles isn't quite ready. And not only is he not ready, he's not surrounded with people that are going to speed up that process. Um, A couple things things make me worry about it because, for one, I'm not – I, he should be the lens by which the Pacers make all their decisions, but I'm not sure it's going to be that way because even at Victor Oladipo's introductory press conference, I thought it was very telling because they were already making jokes about Oladipo's usage percentage ballooning next year. And I <laughs> it's think, a weird thing to joke about at a press conference. Yeah, well, they were talking about how Oladipo was on the plane back from Summer League saying, hey, I think my usage percentage is going to go up next year. And <laughs> Kevin Pritchard looked at Nate McMillan and was like, well, is it? And Nate McMillan said definitively, absolutely. 
absolutely it would. So, and, and <laughs> that's that such a weird are. thing to joke about. Like, oh, I am going to be able to take a lot more crappy shots this year. Well, I, I think like it's okay. slightly in reference to Russell Westbrook and him leaving. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that and makes I, sense. I wonder how much Russell Westbrook is going to have influence on Victor Oladipo after what Oladipo just witnessed of how much his mentor dominated the ball. But beyond that, I just question, I think they have a big incentive to make sure that they win that trade in a sense. I mean, they can't completely win it, but to prove that we took the right package. So I think a lot of it, Victor Oladipo might end up being the number one overturner in the offense. I don't think it should be that way, but I have reservations it will be. And secondly, they're already talking about Miles Turner at the end of the year, you know, perhaps working with Jermaine O'Neal and establishing himself in the post. And I don't really get that strategy. To me, I don't know why you want to waste seconds of the shot clock posting him up. He needs to get stronger. He shies away from contact a lot and takes off balance shots. Some when he's down there against more imposing people like Anthony Davis or Whiteside that kind of dominated him last year. But I don't know why you want him banging around in the post when he's your only rim protector and you're going to need him to adjust some of what is mid-range to three-point attempt ratio is so i'm a little weary about how they're going to handle miles turner becoming the franchise player what's a good season for him what's a season where you say you know what these worries they address them or at least they calmed my worries for both of you like what's what do you want to see from him i like aside from like the um kind of like x's and o's standpoint that caitlin's speaking of like i would like him to like have a year where it's consistent I feel like it's really hit and miss with him. Um, he goes through he goes through times where you see him and you think like that's the miles that we want, um, and then he shies away for an extended period of time. Like I would like to see him in his growth, just like just become way more consistent in what he's doing because you can't you can't rely on him at this point, and you can still see him sometimes making some like judgment mistakes. You know, partly because he's been nineteen and twenty years old when we've seen him play, but like like the most cliche thing is like to just see him grow up a little bit and, and be a, he's, it's his third year in the league now, regardless if he's only going to be 21 or whatever. I mean, we're in year three now. So I would like consistency and, you know, showing that growth. I don't know if, if he'll be in the right position for all of that. Now to put a positive spin on all this, you see this a lot where the, he actually it actually is good to give him some responsibility because it kind of forces him to grow up a little bit you know where whereas in the past like Paul George sucked a lot of the energy out of you know the public out of you know Miles is modeling these jerseys there is a little bit of like sometimes you just sort of have to be put in a position where you have to grow up and it's trial by fire type of thing so maybe that is a good thing for him if we're looking at this optimistically you know typically I am like fairly optimistic I feel like, you know, the other good thing, too, is that, you know, if you're going to lose Paul George and you're a Pacers fan, like it is a pretty okay thing that Miles Turner is your is the hope that you have. I mean, sure, he has concerns, but, you know, you could be in a way worse position than, you know, to put some of your your hopes into Miles Turner. Things could be far worse. He's saying the right things. I did see some of his uh, pro Indiana tweets. He is very pro-Indiana at this point in his career, as I will continue to say. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember when Paul George was like that, too. A little nugget on that. I was, like, already having bad 
feelings during summer league because he was there and did a halftime interview. And you know, that key neck key necklace he always wears, Whitney. Yeah. yeah. He always wears a gold key and he was wearing that there and they asked him about it. And he said, they said, well, what is that? And he said, there's the city skyline of Dallas on there. I'm so connected to Texas and Mm. everything there. And I was already (laughs) projecting out into the future when this, and that isn't even fair because they're not the same person, but I was already having bad Paul George flashbacks Mm. and the aftermath of that. And he was already talking about Texas and Dallas. So Mm. we'll see. Who's writing his coming home essay? Which who's ghostwriting it? Oh, that's too uh, mean. That's too mean. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make you answer that. When you were you were I saying something else. What I was saying, like in terms of like going through the Paul George leaving experience that we went through, which is like a little bit scarring, and I think like makes you extra jaded. I have like looked around the league though, and it's like if Kyrie will leave LeBron, you know, if KD will leave Russ, like there's there's no hope. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, of course, Paul George is going to leave you because like the Cavs can't even keep Kyrie and LeBron together. Like it's the, the NBA is just like in a weird place in that regard. It also is why you need to seize the moment while you do have them. So maybe that's why the Pacers are moving a little faster than some fans want. I suppose Fair. maybe they feel that Fair. way. Um, speaking of moving a little faster than some fans want, I mean, Kalen brought this idea up with that, how the, the Pacers are very incentivized to make their two uh, Paul George return trade pieces look a lot better than everyone expects with Oladipo and Sabonis. So I want to throw out this sort of devil's bargain hypothetical with you and see how Pacers fans feel about it. Would you rather kind of be the eight seed with Oladipo and Sabonis dramatically overperforming? and getting people excited about that? Or would you rather they dramatically underperform and the Pacers get a top three pick next year? That's a tough one. I think here, here's the initial question with that is what is Oladipo and Sabonis's overall ceiling and what's a good season for them? Because I think that Oladipo is going to have a decent season. I, I actually wrote recently that I, I think that, the environment is there for him to put up a career year. I don't think it's going to be an efficient career year, but the factors of this trade, having a chip on his shoulder, is the body transformation thing he's going through and kind of all that stuff I think is I think will play into ha- him having a good season. I don't think it's going to be an efficient season just because of his shooting and I think he's going to be a high volume scorer, but I'm not sure what their ceiling is going to be. So in that regard, I think most teams would be willing to take on a bad contract if it meant that they were going to get a top three pick. And I don't think necessarily that Oladipo is going to be some drag or a bad contract, but let's say that he were, wouldn't you be willing like if a team called you and said, will you take this bad contract? If we also give you a top three pick, I think you would take it. So in that regard, I think I'd rather have the top three pick. Now the, Concern buried in this question, of course, is that the answer will be neither of those things. He will neither blossom into an all-star level player, which I would qualify as like, if he gets all-star buzz and they're the eighth seed, I feel like that's an overachievement. That's sort of what we're looking at. Now, the, the... what if the neither of those things happens where he's he's okay and they still get the eighth the eighth pick? That's exactly what is going to happen. Like, right? <laughs> exactly what's going to happen. Like he's going to be okay. The Pacers are going to be okay. They're gonna like flirt with probably making the playoffs or some ridiculous thing like that. And you're not gonna get a pick or a good team. That's what's gonna happen. Yeah. Well, I, I fear that too. If you had to choose one or the other, which is I'm sort of better. All day. I'm taking yeah, the pick. I, I would take the pick. I just want to see a year of Lance Stevenson just being out of his mind 
um, like for the good and the bad. I want them to win like 20 games and get a good pick. And like we have a like, why can't we have as fans one like fun, bad year where it's like Lance, GR3, um, Miles, like, you know, they're fun. They're just not good. And then they get a top three pick and it's like, okay, now we start to try and fix it. Having gone through that dance with my favorite team, it's fun for about a year, and then it kind of gets old. Well, so be I'm careful what for, you wish for. All I'm asking for in a perfect world is that it's one year. Like, yeah, these yeah. Are, <laughs> these are really reasonable like, things I'm, I'm asking for here. Yeah, it's just one of those things that always sounds, it feel, sounds a lot better in theory, and then you have to live it for a little bit, and then it's not as fun, unless you're a Sixers fan. Uh, we're going to take a little quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back with – we got to lighten this podcast up a bit, man. This has been too depressing. We have some, hopefully, some topics that will maybe be more uh, enlightening. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. If you're like me, you know you have to shave, but you don't like doing it. The razors are expensive, the gel is expensive, you have to kind of switch them out a lot, and you cut yourself while shaving, you've got to use all this product in order to have your skin moisturized. It's just not a very fun experience, and it never was a fun experience for me, and I really didn't want a beard. That changed when the Dollar Shave Club came to my inbox. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's got this great Dr. Carver shave butter. It feels really smooth coming off your skin. It actually makes the act of shaving fun, and I love that. And it's also a great deal. You can get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. They send it to you in the mail. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get either a really expensive razor or a cheap disposable razor that gets a crappy shave. You don't have to do any of that. It comes right to your door. It's a great life hack and a great no-brainer choice. And it's got this amazing butter that feels so good on your skin. It almost doesn't look like shaving cream. It's nice and clear, and it just doesn't feel like shaving cream. And you don't have to get all those other products in order to have your face properly moisturized. It's a terrific deal. You get all the stuff you need in shaving in one with the Dollar Shave Club. And now, lucky you, for a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 a month with free shipping. And after that, razors are just a few bucks a month and you can quit at any time if you don't like it. That's a $15 value for only five bucks. And in that first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a focus set of four cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter, all for just five bucks. And after the first month, these replacement cartridges just ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, cancel anytime you like. But you can only get this offer exclusively through the Limited Upside podcast. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash upside in order to take advantage. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. Dollar Shave Club, the smarter, more convenient, and more comfortable way to get a close shave.
Okay, we're back. Limited Upside Podcast, team preview number 16 of 30, the Indiana Pacers, the dynamic duo of Whitney Medworth from SBNation.com and Caitlin Cooper from Indy Cornrows. It's been a little bit of a rough podcast so far. I think uh, it's not a great time to be a Pacers fan. Uh, So let's see if we maybe can lighten the mood up with this question. Because a lot of us, I think, other than the Paul George saga, were not quite as plugged into the team as you know you folks were. So, like, is there something that happened last year that maybe offers either a kernel of hope that people kind of looked didn't really pay attention to, or maybe in a worst case scenario, like, kind of actually makes this even more depressing? Well, I think my go-to, which I, I don't even think the local or regional or national is really talking about it, but the concept of Portland East really worries me because they have Kevin Pritchard, they have Nate McMillan, they have Nate McMillan's assistant from Portland, Bill Baino, and now they hired back, or didn't hire back, but Chad Buchanan used to work in Portland too. So they have all four of the gang back together, which just makes me weary because Kevin Pritchard talked about at the end of the season that Nate McMillan is a real, is a guy that you really want in the trenches. And I'm not willing to go so far as a lot of the community members at Indy Cornrows who routinely say to fire Nate in every comment section. But there's reason to be concerned about the way that he coached the team. Because last year he was kind of dealt a bad hand because they had multiple plotters on the roster. They had multiple non-shooting shooting guards. And there wasn't a really good way to manipulate the rotation. But he had really strange defensive ethos where he'd be like, oh, you must guard your position. So Monte would be guarding DeMar DeRozan, even though that should have clearly been Paul George. The switching decisions in the playoffs made no logical sense with continuing to have Jeff Teague switch on to LeBron. And then he would always run units off the bench with like Lavoy Allen and Al Jefferson. Kevin Serafin and Al Jefferson, Lavoie Allen and Kevin Serafin. And it was just like, why? <laughs> why? They, they could have tried their rookie Nyang at that spot, or they could have shortened the rotation, but he continued to do it. And their aggregate bench net rating was like 28th in the league. I mean, the starters were getting no help in that regard. And he, he was just really stubborn with some of those things. And even after Frank Vogel, the offense per possession got moderately better, but the defense got substantially worse. They didn't play faster, which was kind of, the point though I kind of question whether the point was Larry Bird deciding to go with Nate McMillan because they knew that Kevin Pritchard was going to be taking over and I just question that if a change needs to be made at a certain point in time will it be I mean I just hope that Nate McMillan shows a lot more experimentation with the lineup since that there's less and lesser expectations and I'm pretty sure his job is fairly secure given who his boss is I just hope he experiments a lot more Whoosh. Well, I was expecting a kernel of hope, but not so much. Uh, Portland was good, though, with Kevin Pritchard in charge. I guess the problem is that the Pacers don't have, uh, you know, Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge. Well, I question if they'll try to get LaMarcus Aldridge. I have no Oh, no. About that one, too. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. How did you give me chest pains? Like, the thought of that. Uy. Well, okay. Is there anything else that happened last year that maybe offers a glimmer of hope? Or no? Wait. No, we don't have a lot of hope. Wow. We, All right. We have Lance. He's hopeful. Yeah, well, there that is definitely a player that is not undercovered nationally, so I don't think that counts. Um, <laughs> All right, let's talk about – you know what? Let's, enough about this year's team then. Um, let's talk about better times. The Pages have had a lot of really good teams over the years. I think we said – 30, they've never been under 35 wins in, in almost two or three decades. I 
very historical fact right there, very accurate of me, well-researched. Uh, but they're always good. And here's a question I'm going to ask y'all, and I think a lot of fans should, we should ask. Um, I don't know how much you really followed some of the older teams, but I, I think of th- four really memorable Pacers teams. I think of the 8.9 seconds team of 95. I think of the year they almost beat the Bulls. I think that was 98. I think of the mouse, the pre-Mouse of the Palace team, which uh, was 61-win team. And then I think of... The best Paul George team. Where? How would you rank those four teams, one to four, in terms of like which which team was the best or the most? Let's say maybe the most memorable. Um, if you had to rank those four teams. Well, I think definitely, if I'm going to the bottom, I'm putting the 2013-14 team at fourth, because really, they're yeah. Their offense was definitely the worst of the four, and then that was the struggle year. Like to me, of those two Paul George teams. The 2012-13 team was more likable simply okay. because they had that complete meltdown down the stretch before. Right, and that, right. that awful series with the Hawks was just yeah. Maybe Hibbert <laughs> guard on it. Yeah, <laughs> ma- ma- <laughs> maybe let me rephrase. Like, let's say you had like the good calendar year of 2013 and the good like first half of tour. Like, if you kind of merge those two sections into one season instead of like kind of have being like, let's say you take away the way that team fell apart. Like, do they still rank number four? Mm, that's tough. I'm thinking that I'm going to have haters no matter what I say here, but I think number one, I'm going to go with the 97, 98 team, just because I think it's the deepest roster. They have both the Davis brothers. They have Chris Mullen. They have Mark Jackson. Reggie has those heroics in the final series where he plays through the injured ankle in game three and scores like 13 of 28 points in the final four minutes. And then he has the miraculous three pointer in game four. So I think they're number one. Number two is I, I could go either way with two and three simply because the 0304 teams kind of was like my coming of age team. So that to me, that's the team I almost remember the most is that 61 team, except for it. My it's clouded by the fact that Tayshawn Prince had that block in mm-hmm. game two that haunts my, my dreams. So I'll go number two, 95, 8.9 seconds because that's the most iconic Reggie moment. I'll go with the Jermaine O'Neal MVP season. Almost. I think he got like third most votes as number three. And I'm still going with the 13-14 team as last. Okay. Whitney, do you, do you like the 13-14 team better? I do. Than I was going to say, like, I'm, this is so me that I'm going to pick like the troublesome teams as the ones I like the best. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely going to pick the Mouse and the Palace team and the 13-14 Pacers team because I just, I love pain, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. I don't know why I'm like that. I do. I like sad songs and I like teams that should have been good, but they couldn't get the job done. I like the 2012-13 Paul George team. Yeah. That was like, that's the time too, as a Pacers fan, like the, the that season where like you were wide eyed enough to think that like it was really going to work out. So there was still a lot of, a lot of hope. They were, they were pretty good. It was like, until they started claiming they'd get the top seed, and then they did, and then yeah. they didn't even need a game seven, and they lost yeah, in that, game that six. 12, 2013 year was like peak, um, I guess, fun and excitement because it got so painful the next year. I think that team also was sort of, again, there was a little bit of naivety in them, and just so how they're they're going up against a Miami Heat team that built itself through free agency. And this was sort of a Pacers team that, again, no top picks. 
they get all these guys sort of it's sort of a triumph of continuity and scouting and kind of a nice team that fits really well together and sort of that's a team that's easy to get behind uh obviously until they stop acting like that um and i wonder i think that also was part of their charm uh was just that they they were almost stood out in a league that was slowly tilting more towards the super teams, you know. And now, I wonder how if you put that team back in the league right now, uh, would they be? At, would they still be even more beloved? Uh, again, forget it before the part where it all kind of fell apart. But as they first get formed and it actually is clicking, you know, I feel like that would be a team that a lot of people would get behind, just as a nice foil to like the super teams around them. Yeah, I still think they're a super likable team. You have like. The young Paul George, you have, you know, David West. Like, I still think that's a, a great team. And, um, yeah, I think they would be likable today. It just, you know, it 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 got out of hand, as all things do. Well, they, they <laughs> even did that presser with all five of them sitting there. And you kind of had the sense of, they had the sense of team. And, you know, Roy Hibbert gets that block against Mello the year before. And Lance hits that big three against the Knicks. So, like, you had the feeling that it wasn't just Paul George. It was, they were greater than the sum of their parts in that regard. But, I, I mean, today, in today's league, I don't know how competitive they would be. Because that was kind of why the struggle happened. Is because right. they went out on the West Coast trip and teams kind of figured them out. I mean, yeah. I, I, they had that three-game stretch against, like, Phoenix and... Mm-hmm. Sacramento, Sacramento, yes. And all three of those guards, like Ty Lawson, Goran Dragic, and Isaiah Thomas, who is still playing for the Kings, like they really figured out how to combat funneling guards into Roy Hibber and what to do there. And it kind of felt like to me that that was the turning point when it went downhill, that and the Evan Turner acquisition. I still, yeah, I mean, you trade away Danny Granger. I still want the 30 for 30 that's like what actually happened. I think there were just so many things because I want to hear like all the sides, like Lance making his all-star pitch, you know, trading away Danny Granger. Like I want to hear all the sides. Roy saying that they're selfish dudes. Right. Yeah. And then a couple of their bench players, like Luis Scola had an injured elbow and their bench was already horrific. And then like he couldn't shoot worth anything to close that season. Yeah, you guys have done a really good job talking to you both about that. Those teams of kind of illustrating how uh, the alchemy of all of them together can kind of fall apart with one little thing. There's sort of a domino effect that happens when you one part is taken out of it, and you know when it's all clicking together, they they work so well together. But there were so many personalities on that team that. You know, it, it wasn't just that, like, Paul George is the best player, but he wasn't sort of the guy in charge. And then you had the sensitivity of Roy Hibbert, and you had Lance's stuff. I mean, it, it doesn't take much for some of that to fall apart. I think it was a really good illustration of sort of how it's it's not as easy as, you know, you just bring the best sort of player as the leader or any of that stuff. Um, but here's a question I want to ask. Let's, let's, we have to go back to this year's team. Uh, you could take one player from Pacers history that's not Reggie Miller, Paul George, or Jermaine O'Neal and add them to this year's team for whatever purpose you would like to achieve. Like perhaps you want someone who screws stuff up so they get a high pick. I don't know. Who would you add to from Pacers history to this year's team? In their prime, obviously. You put them at their best version of themselves. I'm taking 2009 Danny Granger. Ooh. He was an all-star that year, right? Yes. I think he averaged like 26 points and shot above 
like 45. And that, that was his most improved player season too. I'm taking him because I think he's the most modern. He was a long athletic wing. He could guard multiple positions. And I think that would be valuable because that's one thing I'm holding, hanging my hat on this year that even if they aren't good, that maybe they can become slightly more modern and improve because so long they've loved the mid-range shot and they, they just don't play a very modern offense. So I want to add Danny Granger because I want to take a step towards modernity. I like that pick. Um, mine doesn't, this is the player I want back that he doesn't really fit the roster. They would have to make some roster changes. But oh no, they'd I, have to change the roster that we all hate. <laughs> <laughs> I just would like blonde George Hill to make a return. Ooh. I feel like blonde George best, Hill, blonde George Hill, like the best version of himself. Um, he doesn't have anybody holding him back. Like he did not like the George Hill that we saw that like was always like hiding in the corner, just waiting for a spot up three. Like not that one, like a blonde George Hill, aggressive George Hill, as we called him with the Pacers. Like that's who I would take back. Has He had some swag. He actually had some, some, Yeah. That's the guy. Okay, blonde George. Like he's, he's long. He's got. He's like. He's he's pretty. He's fairly quick. He's long. He can shoot. He can play defense. Um, I'd finally play him as a shooting guard and not a point guard. But yeah, blonde blonde George Hill. Oh, you got to make room for uh, Point Lance. So I totally get that. Um, exactly. Yeah, I love. Big fan of George Hill's game. Just wish he could stay healthy. Um, all right. Another more fun question. This is one we ask everybody. And I know, because we talked about it, I know you've been thinking about this one. This feels like the kind of question that Whitney would think a long time about. Um, it's uh, You're on vacation. You've got your banana boat, just like LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Paul, and Carmelo. You're one of the members of the boat. Who? Which three pacers from their history do you want joining you on the vacation and just to hang out with? I am taking... Um... Taking George Hill and Paul George because uh, the banana boat is actually going to be a fishing boat. Okay. Yes. And so you're going to be fishing off said banana boat. And then I feel like both of those guys are fairly um, relaxed and low-key. So I'm also going to bring Lance um, that way. <laughs> some like craziness added as well. But it is going to be a banana slash fishing trip fishing trip so you'd have to really take the boat out into very deep waters right yeah that banana boat's gonna have to yeah might need some reinforcement so is it gonna be a fishing boat where you have rods or are you gonna like kind of have a net um since i'm not a very good fisher i'm gonna have to leave that to my vacation mates of (laughs) let them decide said thing so you just sit around and watch them fish basically yeah okay all right caitlin who's on your boat well let me preface this by saying i had a lot of trepidation because i was confident that whitney would have a lot more entertaining answer than mine oh come on. so i I thought about it a long time and i thought i was going to need to counter her with steven jackson and lance and and Ron Artest, but that that really isn't me. So I scrapped. Wow. That. <laughs> I scrapped that because that that's that I'm not all about that life. So then I thought, 
Then I thought, oh, let's go with Miles Turner and David West and CJ Miles because they're all pretty good conversationalists and I might actually learn something. But at the end of the day, I decided to go the final three, Paul George, Danny Granger, and Jermaine O'Neal because once I have them out on the boat, I want to do a story and ask them each stage of Pacer history, because we've heard so much about the brawl, but we never really heard about the post story of that as far as what it was like for each one of those players with regards to Danny Granger kind of being the bridge gap between the brawl era into Paul George and then ask Paul George what it was like to try to have to win back the hearts and minds of Indiana. How How that still really hasn't quite happened because Paul George would kind of complain about that a lot that you see even in the playoffs that Two years ago when they played the Raptors, that was a heavy Raptor crowd, Raptor pro crowd. So, I mean, I, I think that there's that's something that no other three players, I think, really in league history could address what that was exactly like and how much pressure there was on those players to be and act exactly right so that fans would want to root for this team again. So that's why I would take those. Three. So you'd be working on the trip and oral would- history. Well, because I don't know what other reason they would want to be on my trip unless they would be willing to do this feature. So. Well, I think they. I think that you're selling yourself short. You <laughs> probably are a great, very fun person to hang out with. Yeah. You know, I think it's trip, though. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I also like that because I've said this before on podcasts. You have to think about boat chemistry, right? You don't want to have like three people that stir crap up, but you also don't have three people that are super chill. You know, you have to have a little bit of a mixture. See, I considered, so in terms of like the fishing, um, I know Monte Ellis was the other big fisherman, but I had to pass. Like I couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, well I just so, don't even know what happens to a boat with Ron Artest and Lance and Steven Jackson on it. Like, does it make it back to shore? I'm not, I'm not sure what happens with that. That it does not make it back to shore. Well, especially if they're going on a fishing trip. And you're taking it way out in the water so you can fish. Uh, we, someone has asked, I forget what listener suggested that we ask this to people. Like, what's like the anti-banana boat? Like, who are the three people you don't want on your boat? <laughs> I think oh, Montanellas. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could be that. But no, I think it's definitely those three. Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, and... and now, that's one that I would... Maybe Jamal Tinsley. Like, I don't know. Might be all three list, of them. I just want to be a fly on the wall. I just want to listen. Right. You could like set up a limo style sort of barrier <laughs> if you want. Or you can have like uh you can be like the driver. I don't know how those works. Anyway, uh sounds like we have general agreement about what we want these vacations to be, but I'm curious what Pacers fans think. Who would they want on their boat? We haven't gone back in the nineties. Is there anyone from the nineties that you would want on your boat? Like Reggie Miller? I feel like he'd be kind of annoying on a boat. I'm not sure I really he want him. Reggie talk enough like we don't need him well yeah that's kind of Reggie's Reggie the player good Reggie the commentator not so good so I don't know that I need to hear a bunch from him right right exactly yeah I don't, he'd also botch a metaphor kind of like I do a lot so I, I don't think that's a lot of fun I think the first time it'd be funny I have a little beef with Reggie that he won't um figure out whatever he needs to figure out with with 2k like so the Pacers, the Pacers all-time team doesn't have Reggie on it, which is no fun at all. Yeah. It's too bad. He was such a great, fun character when he played, but it sounds like uh, he's not like yeah. that. I just think I'm like, I'm of the point where I'm not mad at Paul George. I know a lot of fans hold like a pretty big grudge against against him, which I don't. Uh, but I think it would be so fun to play that all-time team and 
put Paul with some of those '90s guys, but like you, we don't even get that because Reggie Reggie isn't in the game. So sucks. yeah, Reggie Miller ruining everything. Uh, all right, it's now time to make some predictions. Um, I, we asked people what the best and worst case scenarios are for the season realistically, and I think it's this is going to be interesting because I feel like usually you know the best case scenarios we win a lot of games and we advance, you know, we have a overachieving season. But I sense that the best case scenario for this team would be to lose and get a high pick. Is that correct? Yeah, I think like barring they're going to be like top three in the East, which is just impossible um barring that yeah like best case is that they get a good draft pick out of it because um as we mentioned ricky o'donnell um that's some i think that was on this on this podcast um he just wrote recently like how great this next draft is going to be now and it's like well let's let's get in on that like we have a chance let's do it so yeah best case is that we get in on this this next draft worst case is that we're we make the playoffs in the eighth spot I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. I don't think this is a good team for a multitude. Like, I, I don't think that the playoffs are going to be in their, hope, in their I future. You are very right about that. I mean, in my best case, I, I'm going to have to look for, for forests, not trees, or maybe, I guess I should say the reverse of that. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm looking for, I'm looking for baby steps. Cause I just want to see that miles Turner looks like a top option. He can extend his shooting range. I just want Victor Oladipo to have some sort of revenge tour where I don't feel terrible about how that trade went down. Maybe there's a taker for Darren Collison or Bogdanovich. And maybe they become more modern. I, I'm just hoping for those things. I, I don't think they're going to be very good. I, I, I think that I can name... I, Really, to me, the only teams that are definitively worse is like Atlanta, Chicago, maybe the Knicks, and maybe Brooklyn. Like, Okay. I was going to ask, like, who you think is going to be worse. What about, like, Sacramento? Oh, I just meant the East. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just meant the East. But, yeah, probably, yeah, Sacramento probably. And then Phoenix, because, I mean, there are going to be a lot of bad teams. I think that they could be in position for, like, a number seven, number eight pick, which, I mean, would be better than what they normally get. I mean, Paul George was number 10. Miles Turner was number 11. So, generally speaking, they draft pretty well, barring, like, the Tyler Hansbros and the couple of those clunkers, but. Everyone has clunkers. Not everyone finds Paul George at number ten. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of curious. I was going to thinking about running through like who's going to be worse than them because uh, I think you know there's so many bad teams and they have some NBA quality players that I could totally see them winning in the 30s just because they'll beat Orlando on certain nights or you know. Not there's fairly. a few squ- there's a few schedule quirks though because on their 14 back to backs two of them are like Orlando and their opponents coming off multiple days rest like their their back to backs are not friendly to them and then they have a really road heavy schedule to open and a really road heavy schedule to close so I think I think that will help th- save the Pacers from themselves I think the schedule's <laughs> gonna I think the schedule's gonna do them a solid so well you can thank the algorithm that came up with that then <laughs> yeah. uh, okay all right so how many wins are we say are we gonna say this is if your life depends on it whitney how many wins uh 31 caitlin yeah i'm gonna take the vegas under and i think vegas had him at 31 i'm, I'm kind of leaning closer to 28 29 okay 31 yeah that's a good over under number um all right well this has been a profoundly sad indiana pacers preview <laughs> um, with whitney medworth from espionation.com and caitlin cooper from indy cornrows the dynamic duo uh 
the good news is that hopefully you'll have some chili and peanut butter to cheer you all up as uh, you go through this frustrating season. That's it. I'm telling hopefully you, so. the best hopefully. thing about fall, NBA comes back, you can have chili with your peanut butter sandwiches. If anybody's listening to this and they don't like those, I'm sorry that you're wrong. But Yeah, I mean, that's fake news. If you don't like it, it's, it's fake news. Yeah. <laughs> Just try it and see. Do it. It's a peanut butter sandwich. It's not like you're putting a spoonful of peanut hey. butter into the chili. Like you're just right. dipping a sandwich into soup. I don't. I don't. Just don't see how this is that off the wall. We're gonna get technical. We're we're even talking like potentially like half a sandwich. Like you know, cut it in half, put some peanut butter on there, dip it in your chili. Like it's. Yeah. Oh, so hold up. You don't actually put the chili like. You don't spread the chili on the no, bread? No, no, you're just taking, like, half a sandwich and dipping it into yeah. a bowl of chili. Oh, Absolutely. see, I thought you were, like, spreading it on. Well, a couple people thought I meant, like, stirring peanut butter into the <laughs> I kind of thought chili. that, too. I'm like, no, no like I'm not doing that, no. It complements the chili. You take the peanut butter sandwich, dip it in the chili. I actually also had people on the timeline asking me who's the NBA's peanut butter and chili, like the combination that you wouldn't expect to work, but they do. Ooh, good question. And, and I was question. like, to me, like the Pelicans are tailor made for that because we don't expect them to work. And if they somehow do, they should just be called the NBA's peanut butter and chili because that, that shouldn't work. Interesting. Who are the two Pacers that you wouldn't expect to mesh well or become good friends, but do? Well, I mean, their games shouldn't. I mean, Lance and Victor Oladipo on the court at the same time shouldn't really work. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, R. I. Because they're too similar, though. I don't know. Yeah, R.I.P. to Lance and Kevin Seraphine. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That's the original right. answer to that question, but yeah. You know. Well, I think uh, the Pacers. It would be nice for them if they work out like peanut butter and chili. You know, you have a team that's thrown together that doesn't seem to work, but somehow does. That would be, I think, the best case scenario. Let's hope for a peanut butter and chili-like season for Indiana. (laughs) Um, This is the Limited Upside Podcast.